What a promise that He'll never let go of us. That His love will never depart from us. Well, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. Uh, I am the mouth from the south. And um, my name's Terry Irwood. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And um, it's a delight to uh, be a, a pastor of a group of people like you. It's a joy and privilege uh, even though through struggles uh, throughout the week, the privilege I have every day, every morning and getting up, not only praying on your behalf, but just thanking God for the opportunity that I have to be a part of this body and to be a part of what God's doing here through Cornerstone. And so thank you. And in fact, I want to thank uh, you guys for last Sunday. Um, Easter is... Uh, Obviously, one of the biggest uh, days for us. And all weekend, I watched you selflessly serve this body and the community. You guys just stepped up the plate. And so we had no shortages in the children's ministry. All of our ushering was taken care of. And uh, Todd just nailed the uh, messages on Friday and Sunday. And so we we got to meet a lot of new people. And so I just wanted to thank you for that. Um, If you're new to Cornerstone... Welcome. We've got a lot of exciting things going on. One of my roles is I oversee the different ministries that, that are taking place each and every week. And um, even this month, um, we've started some grow classes. Uh, they, in fact, part two starts tonight. And so uh, we're excited about that. We've got new community groups, both in Simi Valley and outside in, uh, in both valleys, Ventura and in L.A., that are starting. Some are new, and uh, that's exciting for us as well. Anytime we can uh, start new community groups, uh, that's good. Um, we have joy going on in the mornings for women on Wednesdays, every other Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to blow these out, uh, but feel free to stop by the information booth on your way out and pick up more details if something kind of catches your ear. In May, we have um, a parenting conference that will be Friday and Saturday night, uh, May the 10th and 11th. Uh, the following week, we have Eternal Bible College's graduation. And for those of you who are not familiar with Eternity Bible College, please go online and look at uh, the, just their mission statement, how uh, they were birthed from Cornerstone and the vision we had to uh, educate uh, young people that without a very, ex- a, a very high cost to educate them so that when they finish their education, they could hit the streets and they could hit the mission fields running and not worrying about school debt. And so uh, their graduation is May 18th. In June, we kick it off with a men's breakfast on Saturday morning. Uh, I won't be cooking, so you can come. Uh, we won't be having hog jowls and, you know, grits and things like that. So uh, we should. Um, <laughs> hint, hint. Um, and then uh, later on in the month of June, we're going to have a women's conference. It will also be a Friday night, Saturday thing. We're kind of uh, in that groove right now, the Friday night, Saturday thing. So um, mark your counters for that. You'll be hearing more about, again, these opportunities from the different ministry leaders. Uh, July 15th through 19th is our vacation Bible school. And so we'll be asking you guys to get behind us in that, get involved in that with us. Uh, as the weeks and months approach. And so, wow, a lot of exciting things going on at Cornerstone, huh? Good. All right. Let me pray, and uh, we'll get uh, diving into John chapter 20. 
And I'll give you an opportunity to find that in your Bibles as I pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the work that you are doing in the lives of your people, your children, God, that you have called out. Thank you for the work in my own heart and life that you have done and are doing continually. And this morning, as we open up your word, as we focus in, God, on what it is that you want us to learn this morning, may you open our spiritual eyes to see. I don't know where everybody is. I I don't even know where most people are in their journey of faith with you, God. But this morning, may their faith be encouraged. May their hope in this life, not just here on earth, but in eternity, be renewed. May their purpose and may their understanding of you become more sure this morning. Because your, your scripture, your Bible is going to teach us that we can depend upon you. So pray, God, that my mind would be focused and my words would be what you want them to be this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, now we're picking up in John 20. Uh, the resurrection is uh, occurring. And we went through last weekend the whole death and burial. And now we're going to be uh, looking more at resurrection. In fact, today we're going to be looking at uh, proof of Easter. And um, in, as we go through John, it, it's bringing us to this point to where for the first time in the book of John, Jesus is not in flesh with his disciples are here on earth. He's been crucified. He's been buried. He's going to be raised again. And he's going to hang out for 40 days here on this earth. But until this point, he's been with them all along. But as he's been with them, he's been telling them. He's been warning them. He's been trying to prepare them, right? He's been saying to them, hey guys, I'm going to go away. And when I go away... It's going to be a good thing for you because when I go away, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come. But I'm going to go away. You see, this whole death, this whole seeing their Savior on a cross, seeing Him uh, go through the, the trial to see and hear the mocking of the people against Him, to hear the people screaming out, If you're the son of God, then save yourself from the cross. It was like they were just spitting on him. Well, they were spitting on him. But it was like, man, look at your savior, guys. He claims to be God. And yet he's dying on that cross. And so you know the disciples, I mean, they're human. You know, they're just wrestling through all this. It's supposed to be like this. Well, Jesus, you told us it would be like this, but it's not turning out this way. So they're, they're all over the board, right? Just like we would be. You know, it, it doesn't matter how hard and how well we plan for death. Those of you who experienced loved ones who've died, even maybe you've known they're going to die, it doesn't take away the grief. It doesn't take away the hurt of that, does it? And so here are your disciples. They kind of have an understanding of of. Jesus needing to go away, but 
It doesn't take away the hurt. It doesn't take away the discouragement and what they have to go through. So they're all over the place. They wake up Sunday morning. They had just had the Sabbath. Jesus had died on Friday. And now all of a sudden there's ruckus around. People are coming. Now you got women running, coming back, telling them, hey, Jesus' body's gone. And they're hearing this. And they're not seeing this. And things are getting pretty hectic. And we're going to come to this part in John to where today we're going to look at Three encounters or situations that Mary and the disciples had with Jesus. And it's going to be around this whole context and this whole subject of faith. And basically, we've come to the point where put up or shut up. Jesus is going to, he's going to finalize the last piece of what he told them. When I go away... I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to conquer sin. I'm going to conquer Satan. This body that you see is going to be ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so basically what Christ has done, what Jesus has done at this point, is He's brought them to this moment. Now Mary, the disciples, Les Thomas, and Thomas are going to have an encounter with Jesus And this encounter they're going to have, it's going to be a crisis of faith for each one of them. And so this morning as we go through these three different scenes, these three different situations and stories, I want us to see two things. First, I want us to see the crisis of faith that came to Mary and the disciples and then to Thomas. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, and as I was studying through this, I realized that I was a part of all three at one time or another, and most of the time I was more of a part of all three than I wanted to be in my faith journey. And so we're going to look at the crisis of faith they were in, and then we're going to look at Jesus' response, because He's going to respond to each one of their crises of faith uniquely, but He's going to do it profoundly. He's going to do it the same way He does it today, 2,000 years from the cross. Okay? So the first one we're going to look at is Mary. We're going to begin reading in verse 11, and I'll read through verse 18. As I'm reading, Mary's visiting the tomb, and she's running there, can't wait to get there. Now when I'm reading this, see if you can decide or see if you can pick out what her crisis of faith is. Beginning in verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Now Mary's crisis of faith is she had a lack of understanding. Here's Mary, the one who loved Jesus. Mary Magdalene, the one that experienced so much grace from Jesus. The one that was always bowed at his feet. The one that just could not wait even that resurrection morning to get to the tomb. Here's this Mary running to the tomb, excited. But what was she excited about? She was excited about going and seeing the body of Jesus. And at first, that sounds good, don't it? But the reality was, She never should have went to the tomb looking for the body. She should have went to the tomb looking for the linen cloth where the body is gone, right? So she had a lack of understanding. Let's walk through this. Verse 13. The angels asked him, Mary, why are you weeping? At this point, Mary probably wanted to look at him and say, are you kidding me? Why do you think I'm weeping? My Savior, my Master has just been crucified. He's dead. I've come to the tomb and he's not here. Why do you think I'm weeping? I mean, you guys are angels, right? I mean, you guys should know why, why I'm weeping. You see, if she would have totally understood what was happening, she wouldn't have been weeping, would she? She would have been celebrating. She would have been celebrating the reality that all that Jesus had said up to this point was going to become true in her life. She was going to experience the reality that Jesus conquered death. All of these prophecies, all of these talks, all of these upper room experiences where she was probably in the background or just watching Jesus walk through the villages and towns and seeing them do ministry. All of these pieces should have come together for her. And she should have been celebrating. But she was weeping. Everything laid out right in front of her. And she missed it. Arguably, the most important event of the Christian faith the resurrection, and one of his closest followers misses it. Totally misses it. Look at verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. For all the speculations of why she didn't recognize Jesus the weeping, the tears in her eyes and all that, regardless of what people think of why she didn't see Jesus, the reality is she didn't recognize him. You see, her heart was in the right place. But her zeal to help God disconnected her faith from her service. Did you get that? 
oftentimes our heart is in the right place. But the misunderstanding or the lack of understanding causes our, our faith to maybe go the way we want it to go. And maybe not the way in which God had it planned to go. You see, in her haste to serve and to get the dead body right, she was missing the work of God going on all around her. Have you ever been in that place? And I'm talking to myself when I say y'all, okay? In southern term, that means I'm first and then y'all. But um, have you ever been in that place where you, you just, you got something in ministry going on or you're loving your neighbor at work, you, you school, you got a friend that you're, you've been sharing Christ with or whatever, and you, you get caught up in that because it's a good thing. It's the thing that we're supposed to be about. And yet at the end of the day, when we lay our head rest, we, we think, wow, did I do anything apart from what God could have done? Did I get so caught up in doing? Did I get so caught up in this faith thing that I miss Jesus in my midst? See, it just seems like Mary came looking for the wrong thing. She came looking for the body. Jesus said, my body's not going to be in this grave. So what does Jesus do? He asked her the same question the first time, right? Look at verse 15. She's just missed Jesus. And then he's going to ask her the same question that the angels asked her that probably kind of ticked her off a little bit. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? (laughs) But look at his second question. Whom are you seeking? See, his, his second question intended to shift her focus and to settle her down a little bit. The very words in that question revealed her devotion. You see, when Mary got there and was in that tomb and had everything working out in her mind, she never even paused to consider she would carry the courts of Jesus and explain her possession of it. Think about this. That question, whom are you seeking? Jesus was just revealing the devotion in her heart. I'm coming to get Jesus' body, my Lord's body, and I'm going to take him right and picture this. Here's Mary. I don't know how much, how big she was or how much she weighed or anything, how strong she was, but she's going to write, go grab this dead corpse, throw it over her shoulder, and she's going to start walking through town to go bury him. You see, she had it so worked out in her mind and in her heart, especially, that she didn't even think of the details. But Jesus was not concerned with the details. He was concerned with her devotion. You see, the question also revealed her need to stop and remember the plan and the mission. Mary, whom are you looking for? Remember the mission. Remember what I've told you. Stop. It's okay. And in verse 16, Jesus spoke her name. Crisis of faith for Mary, lack of understanding. 
Jesus' response to Mary, check this out. Jesus said to her, Mary or Miriam. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. In other words, Jesus looked at her and he said her name in a way that she knew this was family. Something about, right, being a kid. And you could be two blocks down the street and mama say, Terry. And you know it's mama, right? There's something about... There's something about hearing your name being called out by someone who's close to you. And the closer they are to you, the more distinct their voice is, right? What happened? He said, Miriam. Well, she knew only a few people would ever call her that. And Jesus did. And it it just broke all of the shame down. It was the aha moment for Mary, right? The aha moment was Mary was doubting because of her lack of understanding and Jesus appears right before her eyes and He reveals Himself to her in a clear way. And look at Mary's response. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus gives her faith by revealing himself to her. She didn't recognize Jesus at first, right? She thought he was a gardener. Did Jesus discount her? Did Jesus do the Heisman tour and say, I can't believe you wouldn't have faith enough to believe what just happened? Now, what did Jesus do? He called her by name. He was patient with her and he loved her and he revealed himself to her in person. And then as soon as her eyes were open, what did he do? He put her on mission. The same with us. When our faith is awakened in Christ, expect it to be challenged immediately. And that's exactly what Jesus did with Mary. As soon as her eyes were open, he challenged her. Look there at 17 again. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He challenged her faith in two ways. The first way Jesus challenged Mary's faith was that Mary was the one that was always clinging to Jesus, right? He was always, she was always the one that followed him around and seemed to show up at all kinds of places. What Jesus was saying to her was, now you see me. Now you believe, go tell the others. Don't don't cling to me, but go and tell the others. So that was a challenge that Jesus gave to her faith. What did she do? She immediately had a choice of obedience. And she obeyed, and she went to go share her experience. See, I personally find myself in this crisis of belief constantly. I go through the routines of 
life. I go through the disciplines of my faith and quiet times and Bible studies and messages. And, and oftentimes, I, only, I, I come to realize that in my busyness of doing good things, in my busyness of trying to know more about God and to learn more about God, I often don't recognize them in my very midst. I go through reading plans, right, in the, in the Bible. And many of you probably started the one year, and I don't want to, you know, knock you off the train. So, But many of you are in these reading plans, and I'm in one. And, and after a while, it's, it's exciting, and then all of a sudden, you know, it starts becoming, oh, i, I got to find time, i got to find time. And I find myself hurrying through the Scriptures. And I don't find myself often enough letting Jesus be next to me. Being in my midst and me recognizing Him. And building my faith instead of busying me in my faith. Okay, let's go to the second situation. Jesus enters the room where the disciples are less Thomas. And they're up in this room hiding out. Begin reading with me in verses 19 through 23. And as I read, again, try and find out what the crisis of faith is going to be for these disciples. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. What do you think their crisis of faith was there? Anybody want to guess? Fear. Good. Their crisis of faith was fear. It was a lack of courage, right? Here are the disciples. Jesus has told them everything that he said was going to happen, happened. And what, where do you find them? Locked up in a room. And what are they doing? They're hiding from the Jews, right? Why? Because they lack courage. They lack courage. Let's look at Jesus' response to their lack of courage. In verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus' first words to him is peace be with you. Shalom. My peace I give to you. You see, Jesus' greeting of peace and assurance of his identity, it calmed their fears. And it demonstrated an unmistakable proof that Jesus was alive. Jesus could have rebuked the disciples, for their unfaithfulness. He could have went back a few days and said, man, you guys were cowards. 
I mean, you guys were like cockroaches when the lights came on. You scattered all over the place. Your faith was weak. Man, where were you at when I needed you? You guys just dispersed and were gone. Was that Jesus' response? No. It was peace. Shalom. Mm. Verse 21. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. (laughs) That's a pretty big understatement, isn't it? Glad? Are you kidding me? They did the two-step if they had it back then. Wow. But watch how Jesus interacts with these guys. I mean, these are disciples. They had a tough job, let's admit it. I mean, I'm not signing up for their job. I mean, it it was just, they were asked to do a lot. And so I don't want to be too hard on them. And Jesus certainly was not hard on them. In fact, look at how he responds. He had lived with these guys for two to three years. He had trained and equipped them for this very day. He even had a special prayer for him in John 17 that we heard a few weeks ago. And here's this moment. Jesus is going to hand the baton off to these disciples. It's kind of like that father-son moment, right? Where it's that entrance into a manhood and adulthood. It's that special moment where you have seen, you have heard from me all of these years. Now, go sick them. Go get them, Right? Jesus reminds them, no doubt, that His Word about they being able to do greater things than He could ever do. That they would, in fact, live their lives in the service, no doubt, started coming back to their memory. They would have all the privileges and the protection and all the responsibilities that Jesus had during His ministry here on earth. When Jesus saw that the disciples' fear had now turned to joy, He commissioned them. My Father has sent me, even so I send you. Right? But look what He does in verse 22 and 23. He doesn't send them alone. He does an incredible thing that He continues to do to this day. And that is when we put our faith and trust In Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God begins to live within us. It is God Himself dwelling among us. And no longer do do we have to live this life in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own abilities, but we submit to Jesus Christ by faith, and His Spirit lives within us. And He made it a point with His disciples To remind them of that. And 2,000 years later, he's making a point to us to remind us of that today. Look at this in 22 and 23. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. You see, Jesus knew the journey that they were going to be on in the next few weeks and months and, and years. In fact, all of them except one was was killed. And he knew, just like he knows with me, 
that my faith lacks courage. And that left on my own, left to my own knowledge, left to my own abilities, I will live in misery. And he's calling to tell me that right now. Uh, He's reminding me. Um, Wow. And so, but he knows, he knows that Carrie needs the Holy Spirit of God living in him and through him so that my courage and my faith will not fall or not grow weak in the midst of the battle, in the midst of life. Think about it. Let's bring it home a little bit. Could it be today that we may feel embarrassed or ashamed at certain times around certain people? Do we have friends that the idea of God will seem foolish or it will seem intellectually naive to them? So we don't bring it up. Maybe for some of us, it's not necessarily doubting that God is real, but we just fear what others might think. In fact, we might even fear what might happen if they realize and understand that we're followers of Christ. We might have to change our lifestyle, or we might have to pay a price bigger than we're willing to pay. See, I find myself in this situation more times than I want. It never fails when I meet somebody new, right? The first or second question that comes out other than, where are you from? Because they hear my... Uh, they hear my dialect. The second question usually is, well, what do you do? And I have to say, oh, I work at Cornerstone Community Church, and I'm a pastor there. And at that point, you just you see all the nonverbal communication going on, right? I mean, you just see different reactions because most people's had some type of experience with religion or church. And based on that reaction, I have more courage or less courage, oftentimes. And I, I get into these situations, and I have to be reminded that it's the Spirit of God in me that wants to make Jesus known to these people. And so... When we lack courage in our faith, Christ, He's exposing our weakness and our failure not to reject us, but to draw us close and to cleanse us. Have you lacked courage in your faith recently? Has He revealed to you that you need Him? And if, if we will trust Him, that He'll meet every desire that we have. See, by exposing our weakness, we must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, not our own abilities. See, this lack of courage or faith, the disciples put them in the upper room. They locked the doors. 
But Jesus didn't condemn them. He didn't throw the shame on them. But he said, peace. He loved them. He loved them and he he even said, go get them. I believe in you. I trust you. Go. Be strong in the faith. Be strong through the power of the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, go. Third situation. Then we covered in verses 24 through 29. This is Doubting Thomas. That's a nickname that kind of stuck, didn't it? I mean, how would you like to have that nickname? 2,000 years later, I mean, I grew up with nicknames. Woody, Woodrow, T-Mac, T-Wood, Terrence G. Levingworth III. But, man, they never stuck like Doubting Thomas. When I read that, I just thought, wow, that's a great nickname. Has nothing to do with my message, but what a great nickname. Now, Doubting Thomas was a skeptic in the bunch. Thomas represents a scientific approach to life. And maybe some of you out there, your mind works this way. A lot of our staff, they're engineers, and their minds work this way. They they play out the scientific formulas for everything. They, They look deep into theology, and then they have me to bring the balance, right? Um, But some of you out there, right, maybe this is how you're wired. And so you just want the evidence. As I read through verses 24 through 29, see if you can identify the crisis of faith here. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his blessing, his disciples were inside again. I meant to say, bless you. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Did you, did you pick up on what the crisis of faith was? Unbelief, Right? Lack of belief on Thomas's part. See, Thomas laid out these statements for Jesus to have to meet, right? He laid down these conditions. And he said, I'm not going to believe in Jesus unless he shows me these things. Little side note there is that don't we often do that in our faith? Don't we often look for Jesus to just scientifically, by faith, work something out where we can tangibly see it? That's what Thomas was saying. Wasn't it? He didn't believe it. He was wrestling with his belief. He had just went through the same thing. And he wasn't, notice, he wasn't with them the first time Jesus came. But a week later, he's with them. 
Don't know what he was doing during that time, but he, he was probably wrestling with his faith. In verse 27, Jesus, again, look at how he responds. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus begins to meet every condition that Thomas had laid out for him to pinpoint accuracy. See my hands. Bring here your finger. Jesus was literally looking at Thomas and he was saying this and he says it. Stop becoming an unbeliever and become a believer. Jesus is giving proof of his resurrection to Thomas. He didn't want to leave any stone unturned for this brother. In fact, he wanted to make sure that Every condition Thomas asked for, Jesus was willing to meet. Do we believe that today? When we struggle in our faith of belief, do we really believe that God can reveal Himself to us? You see, Jesus was proving to Thomas that it's okay to put complete confidence in Him. Thomas was doubting. Jesus had to reassure him. He had to do a heart work in him. He had to mend some broken fences that were in Thomas, right? You say you're going to be, but you leave. You say this is going to happen, but it didn't happen. So what Jesus was reassuring Thomas is, you can, you can unguard your heart. You can give yourself fully to me. Because I'm revealing all of me to you, Thomas. It's okay. I know you've been hurt. I know you're struggling with this doubt. But jump in. Grab hold. And let's go. You see, through Thomas, John, who's writing this book, shows how belief comes to maturity and how it changes the entire direction of an individual's life. We go from not even knowing Jesus to doubting Jesus to receiving and trusting Jesus, to struggling with our faith. And John's just laying out this weakness in Thomas and the disciples. Why? To encourage us. Look at verse 29. This ought to make you shout. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's us. <laughs> Let me close with this. Jesus never questioned the need for evidence in matters of faith. If you remember John the Baptist getting ready to get his head chopped off, he sends word back. Ask Jesus, right? Are you really the one? And what does Jesus say? I'm doing all these things. You can, you can put your faith in me. Go ahead, John. See, Jesus, he offered signs to validate his identity. And he offered signs to authenticate his message. He did it through various ways, from Lazarus raising from the dead to healing people. But he was selective in his use of tangible evidence. 
because he knew at certain times, it didn't matter the amount of proof that he put before a skeptic, an unbeliever, they were never going to change. And you experience that too in your life, in your family, in your conversations, in your relationships. You just know there are some skeptics that are not going to hear anything. It doesn't matter if Jesus showed up right in front of them. They're not going to believe. But Jesus, instead, he offered tangible evidence to the willing hearts in order to build our confidence and our trust in him. And he's followed that same pattern in that same model 2,000 years later. He's continually revealing himself to us in our crisis of faith to give us confidence and hope and trust in him being the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one who destroyed death, the one who destroyed and defeated Satan and will destroy Satan but defeated Satan. And we no longer have to live in the grave, but we will be resurrected in His presence to live with Him eternally. Jesus makes our faith legit, right? Because the question is, what does make faith legit? It's the object of it. And the object of our faith this morning is Jesus. And you know what He does? He keeps proving Himself to us over and over and over. Amen? Jared? Man, come up. I could ask many of you to come up on this stage and to share how Jesus has made Himself real in your life. And we'd be here all day. I've been walking with Jesus 30 years. He continually has to remind me in all three of these situations we talked about this morning that I need to be dependent on Him. And I need to trust Him. And so maybe this morning you find yourself in one of these situations. If you find yourself in the third situation, maybe you've never decided that you're going to put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This morning, we beg and plead of you to do it. To do like Thomas and just jump in. Even to do like Thomas and say, make yourself real to me, Jesus, and I'll believe. Because some of us have done that. And that's why we're sitting here this morning. Because Jesus answered our prayer. Our cry of distress. If others of you are struggling in, in any way, we would love to pray for you. Let me pray and end our time this morning. Father, thank you. That your word is so rich, that Jesus is so real, and that we can have great hope and confidence and trust in you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your meeting with us this morning. We pray that you will continue to do a mighty work in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.